All right, let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time to be here, to fellowship, um, to learn what you would have us to learn. We pray that uh, you would just bless this sermon that, and that you would cause us to have closer fellowship in your church and to have more confidence because of your love for us and your love that flows through your church. We thank you for your grace and amen. All right, so today's sermon is titled Dealing uh, with Your Struggles About the Church's Love for You, Part 2. It's just a continuation of last week, all the things that I wanted to mention last week, but we did not have time for. Um, so there's a lot. I'm going to very quickly do a review of what we covered last week. So last week, um, we talked about why you need to overcome the struggle of accepting love from others and how common of a struggle that is. I'm just going to quickly recap the four reasons that I gave. One, it affects all of your most important relationships in life. Um, two, it affects a ton of your emotional life, like anxiety and depression and all that. Um, three, it is super connected to fear of man, and that's a hindrance in everything. And four, demons want you to struggle to accept the church's love for you. There are demons trying to keep you struggling to accept the church's love for you. Then we covered what you should believe about the church's love for you. Um, we also covered how do you identify whether or not you're struggling with this and when you're struggling with it, and, um, and a few ways to fight against it. So... I would re-listen to that sermon if you struggle with this at all, or if you missed any of it, please go back and re-listen to it. Um, it's very worth re-listening to. All right, so before we get into the main part of today's sermon, I wanted to go into something, just like go over the importance of questioning your own thoughts. We all have to get to the point where we learn to question our own thoughts, because, you know, in any given day, maybe a thousand different thoughts come into our minds. Some of them are reasonable, some of them are not reasonable, some of them are good ideas, some of them are bad ideas, some are true, some are false. You get the idea. Um, but everyone has to learn to start to question their own thoughts. Because if you just believe everything that pops into your head, you're going to believe some really whacked out stuff, no matter how reasonable it seems. So let's take a quick look at Proverbs uh, 14, verse 15. The naive believes everything, but the sensible person considers his steps. So how that applies to whether or not you should question your thoughts, the naive believe everything. The naive believe every thought that pops into their mind. That's what naive people do. But sensible people learn to evaluate their thoughts. Is this um, a logical or sane thought? Similar to that, I want to take a quick look at Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? A lot of translations say, who can know how bad it really is? But um, a lot of your thoughts come from your heart, and there's, you know, there's issues there. You, so you really do need to learn to question your own thoughts. Like, don't go overboard with it, and like, I can never believe anything I think. Like, if that happens, you'll go insane. Uh, you have to believe something, but 
but learn to reasonably question your own thoughts. God has given us discernment. God gives us the ability to discern between good thoughts and bad thoughts, and we need to use that ability. All right, now we're going to get into the main part of what this message will be. Common objections um, and their appropriate responses. So when I say objections, like common things that we think internally or that we tell ourselves are valid reasons to think, um, oh, this is why other people don't really care about me. So we're going to deal with a lot of those. So a lot of these are just ideas or beliefs that people have internally. Some of them are more specific than that. But the first one we're going to talk about, I don't have any friends, or the idea that you don't have any friends. So I used to struggle with this one a lot, and, um, and I think if you struggle with this, it can be helpful to make a list of the friends you have. Like after I started making more friends at GCF, it probably wasn't until three years later that I actually got it into my head that I have friends. Like, it, it did not click right away. And, um, and it's easy to feel like nobody cares about me. I don't have any friends, if you're used to that. And, um, and your mind doesn't necessarily adjust. It can be helpful to be purposeful about adjusting your thinking about it. So you should, if this is a thought you think you struggle with, make a list of the friends you have. Or make a list of people who are probably your friends, if you have trouble discerning. Um, most people with this thought are probably exaggerating. If by any chance you actually really don't have many friends, like I didn't, I didn't have many friends when I came back to the States, like I mentioned last time, and that was mostly because I never talked to people. So if you try to make this list and you find out you really don't have friends, then you should for, you should work on that. Um, you should try to be more reaching out to others and talking to people. Because that's something that anyone can fix. I used to struggle with this when I came back to the States and I would just sit in a corner by myself and not talk to anyone and I was inadvertently making it look like I didn't want people to talk to me. Like, I kind of just looked like I didn't want to be talked to. I wasn't trying to look like that, but that's what it looks like. So if, if you struggle with this, if you struggle with actually not having many friends, just know that not talking to people is the worst thing you can do. All right, next common struggle. Uh, someone significant in my life didn't care about me. And that can kind of subconsciously lead to the idea that no one will care about me, or no one really cares very much. My dad really didn't like me. My dad um, didn't love me, or my mom didn't love me, or whoever raised me. That can really subconsciously lead to the idea that other people in general won't care about me. I'm not worth caring about. My dad didn't think so. My mom didn't think so. So that very easily leads to the idea that nobody else will care about you. So that's where you have to confront that. So 
I should have made this one a bullet point list on the PowerPoint, but oh well. So number one, you're going to have to forgive them. You won't get over that if you don't forgive them. There's a few reasons for that. It's not just that you have to forgive them if you're bitter towards them. If, you're, if you think, oh, it wasn't wrong, it's fine that they treated that, me that way, that's not forgiveness, and that's going to prolong the issue. You need to call what they did wrong because God calls it wrong. If you don't think it's wrong, and you don't think God thinks it's wrong, then subconsciously you think God approves of what they did. You think God approves that my earthly dad didn't care about me. And that will lead necessarily to believe God probably doesn't care much about me. You have to call it wrong. You have to call it sin. If you don't, you won't be able to get past it. So forgiveness isn't forgiveness if someone sinned against you and you just say, that was fine, that wasn't bad that they did that. Forgiveness is only forgiveness if you acknowledge that it was wrong and say, God says they shouldn't have done this. They should not have done this. They shouldn't have treated me this way. And then you have to forgive them. The idea that God approves of other people not loving you will lead to the idea that God doesn't really care whether or not you're cared about, so he probably doesn't really care. It, it will subconsciously lead to that idea. It has to. And like when I realized this with my own parents and started forgiving them in a different way and, and various other people, like that really changed things for me. All right, next common objection. I don't really have anything to offer people. Uh, so I, I did touch on this last week. If you missed last week, re-listen to it on the podcast. Um, but this idea will be a great hindrance. The idea that, you know, I don't have anything to offer socially. But you have to understand, God has given everyone the ability to bless others socially. We just might not be using that ability. If anyone follows the principles laid out in God's word that relate to social relationships, they will be an enjoyable person to fellowship with, guaranteed. Can't be stopped. It's God's word. And people thinking, oh, I'm not really good at anything, or they won't like me because I'm this or I'm that, that's really the same thing. That's the same thought in disguise. You might think, oh, I'm not smart. They won't like to hang out with me. That's still just the thought. I don't have anything to offer socially. So this thought can disguise itself in many other sentences and any, many other ways of saying this or expressing this. But this is actually a pretty common thought for a lot of people. But the only way to overcome it is to believe Everyone has the ability to offer value to others socially because God gives it and it can't be taken away. All right, 
Next thing that might be a common objection. I haven't grown much and I'm not worth my disciples' time. So, I might be reading a lot because I wrote something out for this. First off, you don't get to choose whether or not you're worthy of your disciples' time. God loves you, and God put you in their care, and God commanded them to love you enough to pour their heart and soul into loving you and helping you grow even when it's difficult. God commanded them to do that. And God did that because God loves you. And you don't get to object to what God chooses. So if you, you can't say that you're not worth your disciples' time, because if you say that, you're actually saying, God was wrong, God should have known better, I know better than God. And you don't get to say that. If God thinks that you're worth your disciples' time, then you should. Secondly, if you aren't growing, that is a problem, but it's a problem that God will give you grace to do something about. If this is a thought you struggle with, um, if you feel like you're not growing and you evaluate it and you're, you're not really growing, then you need to sit down and pray and think about why you're not growing and really think about it and write some things down of why, what might be causing you to not grow or what's holding you back. And you need to be serious enough to do something about it. Because God gives empowerment to his people. Once he gives you empowerment, it's your decision whether or not you use it. You have the Holy Spirit, you have the scriptures, you have access to tons of resources in the church. Whether or not you grow is up to you at that point. So you are worth your disciples' time, and if you're not growing, you can do something about it, and you need to do something about it. But don't feel too bad about it, but it's a, it is a serious issue you need to do something about. All right, next uh, common objection. People would stop liking me if I did such and such, or if I messed up, or if I made a mistake. So you need to realize this is part of the, um, the same belief about worth, about having social value to give to others. Um, what you have to realize is even if, you, so I used to think this about like preaching sermons. I used to really struggle, oh my goodness, I'm going to fail. I'm going to get up there and like not know what to say and people are going to think I'm such an idiot and like no one's going to want to hang out with me. And I used to struggle with that every single time I did a sermon. Probably took after, like after six or seven sermons, it started to get better. But um, I used to be anxious with sermon prep every single time thinking that. But what I should have seen is even if I mess up, that can't take away my ability to bless others socially. So that can't take away my worth. Screwing up can't take away your worth. So whenever you're struggling with, 
if I made this mistake, everyone would just stop liking me. You need to realize, no matter how badly I could mess up with whatever it is that I'm doing, it can't be enough to take away my worth or my ability to bless others. You also need to realize that we tend to exaggerate how negatively others will react. Like the idea that I would, you know, have a sermon where I ran out of things to say and it ended 20 minutes early. People would probably be happy because it means more time for coffee. <laughs> I don't think people would hate me like I thought. But I really thought that. Or I really felt that. I knew it was unreasonable. And I, but I really felt it quite strongly. You have to get to the point where you realize that you're probably greatly exaggerating how negatively others react. Next common objection. I don't fit in, or I'm too different. So first off, you're not supposed to be exactly like everybody else. Uh, let's look at a... Um, a portion of a passage we looked at last time. 1 Corinthians 12, 15 through 17. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would it hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? So, just right off the bat, you're not supposed to be like everybody else. Another way, a more specific aspect of the struggle for some people might be, everyone else is, you know, X, Y, Z, or insert the blank, except me. Um, you know, everybody else fits in in this new social group that I'm trying to be a part of except me. Well, they didn't at first. <laughs> or if you're, if you like, if you're with a group of people and they're all good at this thing and I'm not, they weren't always good at that. No one was always, everybody um, starts somewhere. You're starting somewhere. So the idea that, oh, I'm not as good at this as everyone else if they would have thought that, no one would have joined this group or whatever group because, um, you know, everyone starts somewhere. So don't let that be a problem. And if that's something you struggle with about the church, that doesn't make a difference because the church is family. A family won't say, oh, the newborn, he can't talk like everyone else. We don't like him. <laughs> no one thinks that. church's family. That doesn't make a difference with family. Alright, next common objection. I'm a dislikable person or nobody likes me. So, 
that's just not true. But also, I know I come back to this a lot, this is also an outworking of the same idea that I don't have social worth. It's the same exact idea, just worded differently. A lot of things come back to that. A lot of people's struggles in this area come back to that. The idea that I don't really have anything to offer others socially. No one's dislikable as a person at the core. You might act dislikable from time to time, we all do, but no one's a dislikable person. But you might act dislikable. But that's something you can choose to do or choose not to do. So it is possible that you're acting dislikable, but in all honesty, you're probably just greatly exaggerating it if you deal with this. Another, I really struggled with this, like, strongly for years. One thing that I did that helped a bit, um, try to make a list of people that like you. Because I, I just used to really believe that no one liked me. And even at the point where, like, I had a job and I did good at my job and everyone at my job liked me, like, I just didn't believe it. Like, I really felt like nobody liked me. Well, like, I knew mentally that they did, if I, like, really thought about it, but I always strongly felt like they didn't. So that's why I made a list. You know, if I actually totally believed they didn't like me, I wouldn't have been able to make a list, but, you know. It can help to make a list if this is something you struggle with. There are plenty of people who like you, odds are. Another common objection, especially, um, you know, for within the church, I've messed up too badly. Like, I, I did this really bad moral thing. Like, I've, I've messed up too badly in life. So, how I would attack that, Paul didn't mess up too badly to be loved by the church. And he had plenty more reason to think that than you do. He murdered Christians. I don't think you've murdered Christians. Maybe in your heart, but he actually murdered Christians. Paul didn't mess up too badly to be part of the church or to be loved by the church or to be you know, close to others or have an important role in the church. He murdered Christians. So don't let this idea that you've messed up too badly keep you from seeking close friendships in the church. If you had close friendships in the church, if this is holding you back, you'd realize there's plenty of other people, the majority of people, have messed up as bad or worse than you have. But you'll never realize that if you let this hold you back from having close friendships. Because from afar, it looks like everyone's perfect. You know, they don't struggle with this. No one struggles with this. This is just me. You can keep thinking that forever if you let it keep you from getting close to others. As soon as you actually get close to others, you'll realize it isn't true. All right, next common objection. 
they're only treating me well because they have to, they don't really want to. <laughs> All right, so first off, if you find yourself feeling this way about people in the church, you probably believe this about God, and that needs confronted first. If you believe this about God, it will be difficult to not also believe this about the church. And if you do believe this about the church, you very, very likely believe this about God. If God genuinely and wholeheartedly loves you, it makes sense that his people will, because he's constantly confirming his people to his image. So if God loves you sincerely, his people should, should currently or should start to love you sincerely. And again, if you think that other people only hang out with you because they have to, but they don't really enjoy your company, that also comes back to the idea that you don't have anything to offer socially. And if you would like more resources for um, dealing with the struggle with the idea that God doesn't sincerely love you, then you can listen to the series on our podcast um, dealing with your objections about God's love for you. All right, these next ones are going to be a bit more specific. I love my coffee. All right, they rebuked me, and I feel like they really, really dislike me. This is very easy to struggle with. First off, you have to see that you're probably exaggerating things. You're probably exaggerating their feelings towards you. Secondly, here's some questions that might be helpful to ask yourself. Is Number one, is this just how this person communicates? So I grew up in a family where like, my dad was pretty soft-spoken, so one of the first people who I had discipling me, he wasn't very soft-spoken. <laughs> and so the way he would just word things made me feel like he was really angry all the time. <laughs> but it was just the way he communicates, he wasn't angry all the time. But it can be easy to think that. So number one, ask yourself, is this just how this person communicates? Number two, ask yourself, do, do they realize how I think this came across? So let's say someone I know rebuked me, and to me it came across as like, they're so mad at me that they don't even want to be friends anymore. Um, I should ask myself, do they realize I think it came across that way? They probably didn't, because they probably didn't mean for it to come across that way, and I'm also probably exaggerating it. Another question to ask, how do I feel like this person feels about me because they rebuked me? It's good to know what you're actually feeling about it. 
it can be easy to make assumptions and sometimes be wrong about that. Sometimes you don't really acknowledge how you feel about it. So how do I feel that this person feels about me because they rebukes me? And then after that, ask yourself, how likely or is it likely that they actually feel that way about me? So if I feel like, you know, John Gray rebukes me about something, man, John Gray, he thinks I'm like a total idiot. Like, I highly, highly doubt John Gray could think that thought about anyone. But it's very possible to feel that he feels that way if, you know, if you get rebuked. It's a natural human tendency. So ask yourself, how do I feel like they feel about me because they rebuked me? And then ask yourself, is it likely they actually feel that way? Next common objection. Um, I said or did this one awkward thing, and I feel like they won't like me anymore. This is another one that's very easy to struggle with. So first off, everyone makes mistakes and everyone does awkward things. Everyone. But what I think really helps with this, if you find yourself struggling with this, and you probably will sooner or later, ask yourself, whenever this happens, if, I'm, if things were flipped around, and they made the mistake that I did, or they did the awkward thing that I did, would I feel that way about them? So let's say I said, I'm just going to give a few examples. Let's say I said something stupid, and I feel like, oh, they just think I'm you know, such an idiot, and they don't want to be friends with me. I should ask myself, if they said the same thing, would I just hate them and stop wanting to be friends with them? I don't think I would. And if I want it, they probably don't feel that same way about me. This is like very helpful. 99% of the time, this is accurate. If you want to react that way towards them, you're probably exaggerating how they're reacting towards you. 99.9% .9 of the time, this is an accurate tell for whether or not you're exaggerating. You can apply that to the last one. If I had to rebuke someone over this, would I feel like they're such an idiot, I don't want to be friends with them anymore? No, I wouldn't. They probably don't feel that way towards me. Or, you know, I'm just going to give a few more examples. I created an awkward silence. They probably don't ever want to talk to me again. <laughs> would you never want to talk to... Daniel Williams again, because he created an awkward silence once? No. You would talk to him again. <laughs> but it helps you to see that that idea is just absurd. Like anyone who would actually stop talking to someone for that, that's absurd. No one would do that. It doesn't have to be an awkward thing, it can be any type of mistake. So I actually, um, when I was living with Bradbury, I got into my third car accident, 
And I really felt like, man, Bradbury's going to think I'm such an idiot. He just won't want to be friends with me anymore. <laughs> but I should have like practiced this and flipped it around and thought, hmm, if Bradbury got into a car accident in a parking lot, what I think, Bradbury's such an idiot, I don't want to be friends with him anymore. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I would never think that about Bradbury. But it's very easy to feel that way. It's very easy to feel like people feel that way about you. So this, this tool, just asking yourself, if the tables were turned and they did this, how would I feel about them? That's very helpful. Another common objection. They didn't do X, Y, Z, or they didn't do such and such, so they obviously don't care about me. This is another easy one to struggle with. It, it can be easy to feel like, this was so obvious that I wanted them to do this. How could they have missed this? They clearly knew that I wanted them to do this, and they just don't care. If you find yourself thinking that, and we tend to exaggerate how obvious it is because it's obvious to us. You know, to me, when I want something done, it's very obvious that it needs done. But it's not necessarily obvious to other people, and I tend to exaggerate how obvious it is. Just because it's obvious to you does not mean that it should be or that it will be obvious to others. And we need to learn that. So... When you find yourself thinking this, you should ask yourself, are there any odds, or what are the odds, that they simply didn't know I wanted them to do this, or that I would like it if they did this? This next one's similar, and I feel like this one's very real in the, um, in the 21st century. They didn't text me back, so they don't care. They are purposefully ignoring me. <laughs> this is something I struggle with from time to time. <laughs> but if the, if, when you find yourself thinking this, ask, is it possible I just texted them at a time they were too busy to check and they have since forgotten? That is probably what happened. Or is it possible that they wrote out a response and forgot to hit send? Teresa used to do that a lot. <laughs> she doesn't anymore. But I used to feel really insecure about it. I used to be like, man, Teresa's ignoring me. <laughs> Next common thing. Uh, I think this is the last one. Uh, those people over there laughed when I walked by. They were probably laughing at me. This really is a common thought. You're not the only one who's thought this. So when this happens, and you're, you know, confronting the thought internally, um, you know, you have to be realistic about the odds. Here's the odds. There's a million things they could be laughing about, and most of them are funnier than you. Yeah. 
So you have to be able to get yourself to see that it, even though it is possible that they were laughing at you, it's quite unlikely. It's quite unlikely. But this is a thought. I know so many people who struggle or have struggled with this. Like this, hap this used to happen to me a lot. This happened to me two days ago, I think. Um, it's just an easy thought to think. last section of this message. So I wanted to address the issue, how to handle relationships where you frequently feel like the other person doesn't really care. Because um, sometimes it's not just with people you don't know very well. Sometimes you have um, a friend or a disciple or you're in a romantic relationship and you feel like the other person doesn't really care. So this is how to handle that. First, try to discern if you're just imagining it and try to resolve the struggle, your own emotional struggle, on your own if you can. So use the tips we just talked about and try to resolve it on your own. Go through the process of questioning your own thoughts and see if you can dismiss it as irrational. Second, if that does not work, you need to go and talk to that person. So it comes down to one of two things. Either you're wrong and you should talk to them, or you're right and you should talk to them. So if your feelings uh, towards them that they don't really care are irrational, then talking to them can help, because it can help you realize that they are. And if your feelings are correct, then it's even more important that you talk to them. I want to look at a verse I've come to really like, Leviticus 19.17. We're going to look at it in two translations, actually. First in the ESV. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with him, lest you incur sin. So, actually, let's read it in the next translation. The CSB. Do not harbor hatred against your brother. Rebuke your neighbor directly, and you will not incur guilt because of him. So you would think, you know, it'd be, don't hate your brother, love your brother. It doesn't say that. It says, don't hate your brother, rebuke him directly. Why does it say that? If you have an offense towards someone, and it's a, a recurring offense, you have a relationship where you frequently feel like the other person doesn't care, and you just never mention it, you're going to grow bitter towards that person. It will happen. That's why it contrasts don't hate your brother, rebuke your brother. If you have an offense, 
a recurring offense and you never talk to them about it, you're going to get bitter about it. You can expect it. I remember like my third time reading Leviticus, I saw this. I'm like, whoa, I totally missed that every other time. very important that the Bible makes that contrast. Because you would think it would say, don't hate your brother, love your brother. It doesn't say that. Don't hate your brother, rebuke your brother. So that you don't incur guilt because of him. If you let it turn into bitterness, you will be incurring guilt. So, either way, you should talk to them about it. If you can't resolve it on your own, you should talk to them about it. But that can be complicated or can at least feel complicated, so I want to talk a bit about how to do that. Um, so tell them that you... Well, first, find a good time to do it. Like, don't just drop by at an inconvenient time for them and tell them. That would be very rude. <laughs> and we'll... Like, you want to have time to be able to talk about it. This will probably not be like a two-minute conversation. Yeah. Actually, depending on the people, text messages can work, but it's usually better not to. So, um, an example of how to word it might be, I feel like you don't care because of the way that you this, the way that you insert the blank. Try to word it in such a way that acknowledges that your feelings might be right, but also might be wrong. Because at this point, you're trying to discern, do they act are they actually treating me this way? Do they have this intent? Are they being neglectful? Do they actually not care? It's possible that they do, and it's possible that you just feel that way. But, you know, you're trying to figure that out, and talking to them will help you figure that out. Also, it makes it seem less like an attack and like you're just blaming them. But it is possible that you are right, and they are mistreating you, and that they don't care like they should. You have to remember that either way, the only solution is to talk to them. And if you are right, or if your feelings are right, and they don't care about you the way they should, or they're not treating you the way they should, this will be a platform for you to, you know, lovingly rebuke them about that, which you should do. So me and Teresa both had to do this with each other when we were dating and engaged. And if we hadn't have done this, I'm quite confident we wouldn't have actually gotten married. We did this when it was difficult, or at least for me it was difficult because it felt embarrassing because I'm like, man, I'm, I'm probably just making this up and, uh, and this is super lame to have to be like, well, babe, I feel like you don't love me. And <laughs> it made me like, it was kind of embarrassing. But I, w I was slowly getting bitter about it. And, um, and it was hard to do because it was kind of embarrassing. But if I, if I wouldn't have prioritized the relationship over my pride... It, bitterness probably would have ruined the relationship. 
a number of times my feelings were irrational, but it still greatly helped to talk about it. And sometimes, you know, it was things she did need to change in. And, you know, it was good to talk about. Those things got better. And she had things like this she needed to talk to me about. Anyways, that's all I had for this. Let's close in prayer, and we might have a minute or two for questions. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the grace you give to your church. Thank you for giving us grace to, uh, to just analyze our own thoughts and to conquer bad thoughts. We thank you that you give us grace to work out relational issues in the church, and we thank you that you give us wisdom to do so. We pray that we would take advantage of that grace and we would use it on a day-to-day basis. And we pray that you would bless us as your church. Amen.